Look at the Boga Honey Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have cams on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like up. that. You just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing ever. It, it go, I am all about Just strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. You don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Before we begin today's episode, we're going to quick thank some of the companies that helped make this show possible. Not sure if you guys have heard, but HuntWise has come out with what it calls HuntCast 2.0. Recently, they partnered with Jeff Sturgis, who has decades worth of data, and they've taken that data to compile a prediction as to when you should be out in the woods. So they, they rank it on a scale of 0 to 100%, or the way we prefer it is deer. So when it's a five-deer day, you better be in the woods. So check it out, become an elite member, and learn how to maximize your time in the field, because really, you can't put a price on a good hunt. Tree saddles. We've all heard of them, and we love using them. Why? They're lightweight, they're easy to use, and if you use the right company, you can have everything you ever need for saddle hunting. In walks Trophy Line. <laughs> trophy Line <laughs> just came out with a platform this year called the Mission Platform, and they came out with sticks to go with it. So why else would you want to use another company? Go to TrophyLine.com, use the promo code BOGA, Hunting TL20. <laughs> Worst code ever. <laughs> <laughs> Longest code ever. But do it because you get a good discount. You get 20% and it's good off. stuff. Trophyline.com. A lot of people ask us why we partnered with First Light. And it's because they have amazing systems, and the base of all those systems is around merino wool. Merino wool is great because it keeps you warm when it's cold out and cold when it's warm out because it pulls moisture away from your body. And best of all, it doesn't stank. No so stank. So if you're looking for a, a great new system, can't recommend them highly enough, firstlight.com. We all know that Vortex is the leader in optics, so we can't say enough good things about them. We love them. We use them in the field every time we're out there. But what most people don't know is their clothing line is just as good. There's a brand new fall line that's just come out. We've got a couple of pieces from that line, and they are freaking awesome. So if you want to save 20% on your next purchase, head over there and use the promo code BOGA20 at checkout for 20% off. Jared, how much do you weigh? Probably two, I'm pushing 200. Well, I got good news for you, pal. If you drop in the woods, throw my Seek Outside pack on, throw you in the meat hauler, I'm dragging you out full one trip. The Seek Outside short tail. The pack that we decided to run this year at Boga Hunting works in a tree stand, hauls a lot of weight, cinches down or expands based on what you need, and it's great for hiking too. If you want to save 5% off in your next purchase, use the promo code BOGA. Well, sorry for, for our end. That was, uh, we are doing a double header tonight, and so we were going from one oh. podcast to another, so. Good for you guys. Yeah, we were uh, the struggle, man. Hunting all last week, and that uh, gets you behind. So, I I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, we were out um, doing a little uh, bear hunting, and and uh, you gotta you know you gotta get episodes out. People want hunting content. Mm-hmm. Your post made me so happy. 
the two bear on top of your <laughs> let's just say we were turning heads man yeah people are taking pay- well because it's normally you see it like in a truck but this was on a honda cr a 2005 honda crv you guys are down in michigan so that's allowed down there up here we have to responsibly we're in canada i'm on the west coast maybe so many people are sensitive up here but we have to i can't remember the exact wording but essentially we have to put forth the utmost effort to cover up any really? animal while transporting so we're not we're not supposed to drive around with an animal strapped to the back of your truck or anything. You can't show it off. I mean, granted, coming back from my elk hunt, you could see the rack sticking out of the back of my truck. Right. Things like that are allowed. But if if we did something like what you guys did, oh man, we'd be <laughs> I would be strung up and put out to dry. Like I'd be game over. It's so funny how that goes. Like uh the world's getting soft, man. God, I feel like that's tradition though. Having a buck laying on the front I wanted end it of in the front I wanted it on the front hood like really like those old and olden day pictures with the buck strapped yeah that that's the way it should be right like you should be proud like check it out I'm bringing this home exactly I wanted as many people as could possibly see it to see it I was very yeah. proud yeah over here it's like no you have to you're supposed to wait until it's dark at night and crawl home in the shadow <laughs> right and, and apologize the whole way sorry yeah, you, sorry, sorry to see well, that's, that's what canadians do regardless so. that, wait we do have a, and i don't know if it's offensive but we'll be like sorry sorry because <laughs> like, <laughs> we had us we have some canadian friends and we, we guys mess around but oh, they man. give us a hard time too and rightfully so Absolutely. That's if, if you're not making fun of each other, you're, you're not doing it right. Exactly. Well, let's, let's jump into it. So Joe, um, everybody welcome to another episode of the Boga hunting podcast. Today we have Joe Apple. Joe, you are, uh, a, a different type of guest than what we've had on before. Uh, you have an interesting background in football. Do you, uh, do you want to talk to, about who you are, what you do now? And then, you know, your, your background in, in, in football. Ooh, okay. Sure. <laughs> back right into it. Go um, right. Yeah. Give give us your whole life in one minute. Go. Yeah, but but make it really interesting. Yeah, give us the elevator pitch. Elevator pitch. All right. I am a co-host on uh, on a TV show called The Edge. I'm a co-host with Steve Eklund. We air up here in Canada on Wild TV. Down south of the border, we're on Amazon Prime. We're on Pursuit, and we're actually the only hunting show on Cowboy. Nice. Um, so that's pretty cool for us being Canadian, being Canucks, being the only hunting show on that network. <laughs> right. uh, so I'm, I'm a co-host on there. We're filming um, my second season. We just f- finished filming my second season with the show. Had an absolute blast there. Um, do you want to know about my role with the network as well, or yeah. just primarily? I, I want to so, know yeah. you. I want. I want. I want people to paint a picture of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of the fun part of my job. The business end of my job is I do a lot of the marketing campaigns. I'm a, what would be called an account executive with wild TV, as well as our sister networks. Um, so I do a lot of the marketing campaigns for some of the big brands. We do for mom paw shops all the way up to the big dogs. Um, so that's kind of what I do when I'm not in the bush running around. Um, I live up here in Squamish, BC, which is a coastal town in Canada. And I, I mean, I spend my days hunting, fishing, and foraging in the hills around us. We're pretty fortunate to have some amazing landscape around us here. And uh, so that's kind of what I do. I'm married to a beautiful gal, Kristen. She's a dental hygienist and a holistic nutritionist who focuses on kind of uh, using wild foraged foods and 
wild hunted meat to kind of heal yourself. So that's pretty cool. Interesting. I, we we follow. Her. I've been following her posts. They're pretty good. Like I do. I live the holistic lifestyle as well. So I uh, I appreciate the things she does. Yeah, she's had a lot of uh, dietary restrictions over years, and she's found every time she talked to a holistic nutritionist or anybody, they said, "Well, you just got to quit eating meat and give up everything." And she felt there's a balance finding the right meat, the right sources. Um, so she's doing cool stuff, and her posts are always prettier than mine because she's good at doing all. <laughs> they're the, added. They are nice. They're edited yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I got to work on that. <laughs> um, so, so that's a little bit about me and my personal life uh, and my my history is i'm a retired professional football player i played five years in the cfl um for those of you that are self of the board that's the canadian football league we won the 2000 yeah in 2012 we won the 100th great cup which is basically our super bowl up here yep. and uh, by the 100th great cup you can imagine it's actually been a it's a professional football league that's been around much longer than the nfl yeah um and then uh, previous to that, I played at Washington State University. I was on a football scholarship down there. And previous to that, I was on the national team up here in Canada for track and field. So I've done a little bit of everything um, over the years. I try and push myself ridiculously hard at whatever I'm doing. But the biggest constant throughout my life has always been the outdoors. Um, it's what keeps me grounded, what keeps me going. Uh, it's what gets me through the work day. And I'm very fortunate now that that's my career aligns with that so my work day often you know yeah involved in being outdoors to begin with so that's that's a little bit of a rundown of who i am hopefully i didn't drag on too much and that was an effective elevator pitch for no me. it was it was really effective and it reminded me that jared i know i know more about the cfl than you do did you know that how so so a former bear i'm a huge bears fan okay. former bears coach was a was a great cfl coach Mark Tressman. Mm. For oh, the yeah. who, who did he coach for? I don't remember. Tressman was with the uh, Montreal Alouettes, I believe. Alouettes, that's right. So I played I played against him quite a few times. Yeah. Well how how was he? Did you meet him? Uh I met him briefly, like just in the like post game yep. middle of field interactions. He's a very serious individual, and he doesn't like the guys that he's playing against, believe it or not. So, <laughs> you know, him and I don't have too many warm and fuzzy, fond memories, but uh, but I have a lot of respect for the man. Yeah, that's cool. What position did you play? I was an O-lineman. So I was a big fatty that protected the quarterback. Up in the trenches. Really, yeah, battling in the trenches. Uh, despite my, my you know, build, I'm 6'8", and a big dude, I spent a lot of time in a guard. Um, okay. but then I would also, uh, I played quite a bit of tackle, did some tight end as well. I was, if, if I may, I'd like to say that I was a bit of an athletic O-lineman, like I, not that all O-linemen aren't athletic, but right. I, I kind of, I could bounce around. So as guys went down, I would, you know, bump out of my position and go over and fill another spot if certain guys would come to the line. Cause once you get to a certain level, a lot of guys are very set in their ways. I only want to play left guard. I only want to play right tackle, but I felt relatively comfortable jumping around and playing a few different positions. Well, it keeps you more versatile. Man, you know? jack of all trades. Yep. I feel like that's a very valuable for a player nowadays. Yeah. It worked to my advantage. It mm -hmm. definitely worked to my advantage. That's cool. So you were in the league for a couple of years. Um, you retired, what, like, what did I see, 2015? That sounds about right. Something Long like enough that. that I have to check a calendar. <laughs> I've, I've literally Googled when I retired before. That's terrible. <laughs> that sounds. Um, 
but yeah, no, I, I was drafted in 2010 and I think I officially retired in, after five years. Yeah. So yeah. 2014 or 2015. That's awesome. How, how was it switching from football to, to really, you, did you go right into the outdoor industry from football? No, I, uh, so when I first retired, um, it was kind of crazy. I had some of my best contracts of my career on the table in front of me at the time, but I had just had my third reconstructive shoulder surgery. Um, I had a leg surgery, a knee surgery recently. So I'd had quite a few significant surgeries and I just realized my body was getting beaten up and it was affecting my life outside of sports. And I just, I started to question, um, you know, what it was going to be doing to my life. I live a very active lifestyle and I was starting to question whether or not it was worth it. So I, I had some pretty nice contracts on the table. I walked away from, I went back to school. I got my MBA, um, in marketing and sales. Then I actually, I bought a gym. I had, I owned a gym while I was back in school. Then after that, I managed Western Canada for an athletic supplement company. Okay. I, I leveraged that as a way to get myself back to Western Canada. I was living in Ontario and I just, I missed the mountains. I missed everything we have available to us as hunters and outdoorsmen here on this side of the country. So I, uh, I came back out here and eventually that, that role just wasn't suiting my needs or what I wanted, you know, in my career and a, a great opportunity opened up with wild TV and yeah. it, was, it was actually pretty cool how it all kind of flowed in and everything fit in very well for my career. I was fortunate. Yeah, that's cool. So, so the the constant the whole time was that you you had been hunting since since a kid, right? Oh man, yeah. Like I grew up. Uh, my father took me. Like my best memories with my father. I'm sure many of your listeners are the same. Were you know fishing and hunting with my dad. I think I was probably sitting in the pickup hunting with my dad before I could walk. Um, and then my mom, she actually ran our local wild mushroom buying station. So here in coastal BC. <laughs> The, the pine mushroom, so Matsutake, there's a big market. Uh, the Japanese would buy them mm. and ship them over to Japan. So um, I learned a lot about the, the pine mushrooms, which are delicious, but then also all the other wild mushrooms in the area as well. So we did a lot of gardening, fishing, like you name it. I was pretty fortunate to be exposed to a lot of the outdoors at a very young age. Yeah, that's awesome. That mm -hmm. makes a big deal. Uh, makes a big difference. Um, so you, you, you guys got morels out there? Yeah, you know what's funny, um, especially in recent years, because we've been noticing we've been getting a lot more forest fires up here. Yeah. Um, the morels—it's been such a hot topic, and people are really getting excited about them. But that's probably one of the mushrooms I have the least experience with. Um, I mean, if I saw a morel, I know exactly—I know how to identify them and how mm -hmm. to pick them. But I would be lying if I said I come home with a huge haul of morels every year. Hey, they get me every time I try to go looking for them. You, I just cannot <clears throat> find them. I don't do a good job. I think, though, because you taught me how to find them. Well, so. I'm no expert, and, like, I'll tr I'll keep trying. I like actually going out, like, in the summer months and finding the uh, the chicken of the woods because it's nice and easy to identify. Right. It's, like, <laughs> it's easy to see the big yes. orange. Bright orange growing mass on a trump. I'll go grab Yeah, exactly. Thing. Looks like a piece of a construction vest sitting yep. there. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. my kind of mushroom. Or like the turkey tail. Those are yeah. pretty easy to do. Mm -hmm. Turkey tail is good. Chanterelles. Uh, we get a lot of different variances of the chanterelle up here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's the same. It's kind of an orangish color. It's it's really easy to pick until the early fall when all the leaves stop start dropping. Then it's similar colors. Yeah. Um, we get the 
the like winter chanterelles, golden chanterelles, white chanterelles, um, lobster mushroom as well. Lobster mushroom oh, comes yeah. up and it's like a bright red. So we get quite a few different mushrooms, but yeah, the, the bright ones are always nice when you're picking those. Cause it's just, you could be, you know, way off trail and you're like, Oh yeah. Going over there next. Yeah. Do you get the big basketball, we'll say volleyball size puff balls? If I go to the interior of BC, we'll get puff balls, but kind of the uh, the habitat around here, we're more, so we're technically in a coastal rainforest, so it's very damp and humid oh, all the time. Right. Yeah, so yeah, we'll yeah. get um, like bear's head tooth, lion's mane, uh, angel wing mushrooms, oyster mushrooms, uh, the chanterelles, the pine mushrooms, um, bolete. Yep. Uh, hedgehog mushrooms we get we get a ton i mean it's a lot but yeah it seems like the puff balls grow more in the like drier areas yeah yeah it's interesting and it's, it's actually pretty cool to, to learn that growing up i don't know if that's where you learned it jared but like growing up i didn't learn anything about mushrooms i was no. told if you see a mushroom in the woods it's poisonous most likely that and berries then i get older i'm like wait a minute i can eat that berry and that mushroom is delicious See, I only knew what morels were because when we would go up north, up into like Baldwin or uh, Hoxleyville area, there was a one, just a little diner that we would go to in the morning on like Saturday. And inside there, they always had like this wood carving of a morel that I remember. Oh, nice. I know exactly. I know that's a mushroom. Yeah. Like, why is it here? When we were up there in the spring, I would always see these people walking around. And I'm like, like, we're out turkey hunting. And I'm like, why is there a bunch of people walking around with, like, onion bags? So oh, yeah. He goes, oh, those are freaking <laughs> mushroom hunters, man. Big, biggest liars in the whole woods. Oh, yeah. The mushroom hunters. <laughs> yep. That's why Where you were you? I don't know, over there. No, you weren't. I have family members who are, every year, consistently get a ton of morels, right? Yeah. Pounds of them. Yeah. I always ask them, hey, I'm family, man. Come on. Yeah. Hey, let me in on the little secret that you have, because I want to find a couple morels. Yeah. N- it's Never give it to yeah. me. Yeah. It's, I would say mushroom pickers are more protective of their spots than a hunter even. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, if, if you're, if you're a public land hunter, you understand, or a, a fisherman and you hunt public access areas, you understand, like, I don't want other people coming in here, but for mushroom picking, it's literally like, if you show someone your spot, it'll be like, yeah, every year they pop up on this stump. Yep. Yeah. And there's nothing wor- worse than like, you come around the corner and you find somebody in your spot. And you're just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm cooked. Like, I mean, I had, I'm a terrible liar, like absolutely <laughs> yeah. horrible liar. And I was out picking mushrooms one day and pine mushrooms. And it was one of my favorite spots. And I'm sitting there and I'm literally bent over and I pick up a mushroom and I throw it in my bag. And then I see a father and a son walking past me and they're just like, <laughs> for a walk. I look, he's like, oh, what are you doing over there? And I tried to hesitate and like, I, even the thought of lying to this guy, because especially because he was out there with his son, just made me like nauseous. And I knew that my face <laughs> must have all twisted. And I was like, I'm mushroom picking. He's like, oh, what, what kind of mushrooms are you pick, like picking? Do you mind if I ask you? And I was like, yeah, man, you're here with your son here. So I pulled the mushroom out. I showed it to him. I taught him a bit about it. And like, I'm very protective of my spots. Yeah, I won't put people into my spots. I've been back there for two years since, and I have not picked a mushroom. That's <laughs> no. Every time I go in there, there's other people in there. And, I mean, he wasn't an avid mushroom picker, but I'm sure they went back a few times, probably told a few people, and now that spot's picked out. You hate to um, see it. You do, really do. But So now I'll literally, like, 
I'll plan my trips if it's an area that's a high traffic area. Cause there's a few spots I go and pick that are pretty close to town and I'll plan, like I'm going to go just before dark when people aren't going to be out walking their dog or I'll pick times that I can go in there and pick mushrooms or I'm not going to get spotted because I, as much as it ticks me off that I told those guys and now that spot's picked out, I know being the person I am, if I'm in another spot and someone comes up and catches me, I'm still going to suck at lying and I'm going to yeah. exactly <laughs> you're, you're going screwed either way. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, it's, it'll, it'll happen. No, that's, that's a cool thing though. You guys wait, do you have a uh, chaga mushrooms up there? Mm. Yep. Yeah. And you know what? I've seen them. Um, I forgot about the great chaga. I oh, see yeah. them all the time when I'm up there and they've become a very popular mushroom recently. Yeah. I've still never harvested one, but I see them all the time when I'm hunting and I got, I got to cut some you off. You got to jump on it. When I know you see when you jump. Yeah, I, I did it for a while, and then once you, you, I didn't. I thought that was like a burned chunk out or like a rotten chunk. And recently, we how did we learn about who taught? Who I was act- the originator of this information. My family was sitting around Sunday dinner, and all of a sudden, my dad was, you know, he's telling me about this crazy mushroom that grows on birch trees, right? Yeah, and he's telling me all like the municipal benefits of it and the medicinal medicinal what did yeah. i say I, I think you said municipal but then you ended with yeah. medicinal hey you got to experience <laughs> the random time that i get to make up a word jared will make <laughs> up words on occasion it's um, fine i've made it i like yeah it happens and it's kind of like a bonus for the episode <laughs> so anyways so you, you're talking yeah. about this municipal. so then i uh, i piqued my interest so yeah. i started googling a bunch of stuff on you know the mushroom where do you find it how do you identify it? like are these claims true yeah and like it's a very like anciently used mushroom yeah for healing that's black and orange on the inside and yeah. it's hard as wood almost it looks like a burnt piece of shit yeah sticking on out the side of a tree yeah it looks like it looks like a kind of messed up burl that grows out of the tree yeah. i see them all over and to be honest it's i see them and i've, I've never tried it yeah and to me it just doesn't look appealing <laughs> <laughs> but it's ridiculous because I I will like I'll cut a tongue out of a deer and I'll bring it home because I want to cook it. So I'll I'll eat tongue, but for some reason I know all these benefits. I love mushroom picking. I do all of that, and I still have walked past. I can't tell you how many chaga mushrooms so far this year. So that's going to be my goal. You guys have done it. I'm going to pick do some it. soon, and I'm going to you know just I'll, re- I'll report back. Just think of it as a tree tongue. Yeah, well, <laughs> think of it as a tree song. <laughs> no, because we do tea. Yeah, we. Can do you tea. do other things with it? I'm not sure. Can, can I've never, I've, like I said, I've never, I've never done any Don't cooking know. with them. Yeah, well, we'll have to. Tea. Uh, we do the tea. You just basically boil it in water and and pour it out, and you feel I, good. I would compare the taste if people were curious, of, like a woody maple syrup tea. Yeah, right? you know, it's not. Really? Yeah, it's not anything crazy. I just get like a little hint of like the sap maybe coming out of the the mushroom itself or what or whatever is in there making that flavor. That's what I get. I'm a fat, I'm a fat kid at heart. So if you're telling me it tastes like maple syrup, D- well, you're getting his his host. Everyone I come across. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Different people. I I think I think that's right. I wonder if you put it, I might put some syrup in there. You know, Good. really spruce it up. I think it's time for a break. Yeah, we we were getting long-winded. Yep. It's time for a break. We're going to thank a couple of our uh, couple more sponsors. Who doesn't love smoked meat? Jared? Communists. That's <laughs> who doesn't like smoked meat. If you're not a communist, check out Gorilla Grills. So whenever you go out to the field and you procure your own game, mm-hmm. you can bring it back, impress your wife, 
your husband, your kids, your, your friends, fam- friends, your family, anybody with your smoked meat. Check out GrillaGrills.com for all your smoking needs. Everybody knows that arrows are the lifeblood of the hunting industry. If you're a bow hunter, your worth is measured in the amount and the quality of arrows that you have. If you have good arrows, and a lot of them, you are arrow rich. And everybody wants to be arrow rich. Everyone wants to be arrow rich. And one way of doing that, using vector arrows. Why? They are the best. They are tough. You can go to their website, enter all your bow specs in, and they'll spit out the exact arrows that you need. Check them out, vectorcustomshop.com. And be arrow rich. If you're looking for quality, handmade, traditional archery equipment, look no further than Bivouac Bow Co. Jim and Georgia, actually we had them on the podcast, episode 93, check it out. Handmake bows, they have years of experience, their machining is precise, and their products are beautiful. Check them out at bivouacbowco.com. And finally, I want to introduce a new sponsor of the show. Wild Pursuit Wellness makes premium CBD products. It's all natural, broad spectrum CBD, meaning that there is less than 0.0% THC. It only has two ingredients, CBD and MCT coconut oil. It can be ingested or used topically on the skin to help with muscle soreness or joints. We we use it a lot after long hikes or, or sits out in the woods. It's grown and extracted right in the Rocky Mountains, and it's shipped directly to you anywhere in the United States. It's great CBD at an extremely low price, and it can be even lower if you use promo code BOGA for 20% off at checkout. Check them out, wildpursuitwellness.com. So, so, you've, uh, so you've hunted for a while. You've, you've done all this. Um, what, were you able to, while you were playing football and doing all these things, were you able to continually get out in the woods, or was this like a fall sport that made kind of this part of life difficult? It made that part of my life very difficult. Um, and, and also just, I mean, especially during my professional career, I was located like right in the middle of Toronto, um, which is a very difficult area to get out of on the weekends to get out and do some hunting. So um, it, it, it felt like I took quite a big pause for my, yeah. I, I still got outdoors when I could, but it, it definitely impacted my hunting. Um, and I feel like that's probably part of why I've been so, motivated and driven since coming back into it because it felt like such a void in my life for so long that I'm eager to almost make up for lost time. You know, I, I can relate. I only, but I only had it for about what, three years, three seasons being, I, I moved out to the East coast for school, for grad school and we'll just didn't have time to hunt. And so like, I felt like I had, when I came back, I had this pent up demand for hunting because I felt mm. like I just missed, I was only to, able to hunt like once or twice a year. Usually when you're in town from, you know, across the country, everybody wants to see you. So you don't really have time to, to do things like hunting. Uh, so no, I know, I know exactly kind of, kind of a similar feeling. Oh yeah. You had it too. You were in Okinawa for forever. Did they let you hunt? Out? You got to fish a little bit. Yeah. We did deep sea, but it's not the same. Definitely not. the same. Do they hunt, hunt in Japan? Actually, we did some spear fishing. That's closer. Um, yeah. So we, our our base was um it was on the island of Okinawa. It was actually Camp Courtney if anyone was curious. And right on the base there's a beach you could go out to and it's just like a coral reef out there. So like you're seeing Nemo fish, those clownfish. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you're stabbing those? I wasn't, but I mean you could see them swimming out there. So it's that type of reef, but we would go down there on the weekends, you know, burn a fire, 
go out and spearfish and try to get on like these reef tunas yeah. cruising around. Never got them. No, no, not one. <laughs> but that's a bucket lister for me for sure. Is it? Is to get out spearfishing. Absolutely, it, it looks was, fun. It was a lot of fun, and uh, luckily you're in shape because we were diving down just with snorkels. Oh so you yeah, had to take a deep breath and dive down, and you were in good shape at that point. I like to thought I would. Yeah, you know, I did. You were marine. You know, I did sign up for like a little uh, mini triath- triathlon there. Yeah, and I won the mountain bike division what is that what is that division so i <laughs> rode a mountain bike over the uh yeah so you the bike the fastest the bike biker? course on a mountain bike how, how did i know they had a road bike division and then a mountain bike division mm. could you have hung with the road bike guys let's just say i had a big enough lead during the swim oh of course so stage. jared is a big swimmer growing up so so you wait it was a triathlon but instead of doing mo- ro- quick road bike you did mountain bike so it was mountain bike swim run no you, no swim bike run Okay, but it was mountain. Okay, I'm following now. Yeah, tracking. And you used your swim to put you ahead because you're not a fast runner. I had a huge lead. You're you're a, he's a power. He's Jared's more of a power bottom. Yeah, I made more for sprinting. Yeah, yeah. Workhorse. Uh, so that's interesting. Interesting. But again, during those times, while I was supplementing the scuba diving for hunting, it wasn't the same. It was not the, not same. the same. So being away for two years does it it it, it uh, get at you. Closest I've ever come to uh, spearfishing is I was down in Australia on a sail trip and we went off snorkeling and I snuck in. We were fishing while we were on the sailboat uh-huh. and I snuck in some fishing line and some hooks and a little bit of meat in my pocket and we're out there snorkeling in these reefs and I was tying the fishing line to my finger <laughs> and putting meat on the hook and I'm sitting there like hanging over these rocks and these reefs and i'm trying to catch these fish and mm-hmm. just getting them to come close and it was pretty cool and i was having a blast but i got so focused on what was happening immediately in front of me yeah i wasn't thinking about the fact that i was in like tropical waters with meat in my pocket <laughs> and all of a sudden i looked up and there is this group i don't know what kind of sharks they were but i'll tell you what they looked huge to me <laughs> at the time and it, i had this sobering moment where i was like i am the biggest like tourist idiot like just, <laughs> just jumping in. I, I, i'm in a mountain town it's a big tourist destination and we always hear about people having to get rescued off the mountain because they hiked up on this trail expecting it to be like a city park and you know we're in flip-flops or whatever and i'm always like oh those idiots how could they be so stupid <laughs> that- in that moment i was like i'm that guy i'm gonna be pulled it like i'm gonna lose a leg or an arm and all the locals are going to laugh about how stupid this Canadian was. <laughs> uh, that was like the closest I've had to getting out there and properly doing any of that. So, yeah. So, but, but as you're saying, so you were, you were out, you kind of, you had this pent up demand. So it's good to be back. Um, but you know what? This whole time I've been, you know, you're talking about you, you being a six foot eight offensive lineman. Uh, what's your draw length? Like, were you wondering that, Jared? What's, what's your, what's a draw length on a guy who's six eight? Is it, it's got to be in the 30s, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I've um, my draw length is a little weird. I prob to be perfectly honest, I'd probably be closer to like a thirty-two and a half to thirty-three if it wasn't for all my shoulder surgeries. But the draw in my left shoulder, I have very limited range of motion, Um, so I can't even reach full extent. I can't raise my arm to the side or do a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm kind of, I guess, I cheat my form in some ways, but. the bows I've been shooting, the majority of my career have been 32-inch draw length. Um, this year, I'm going to actually go to 31 and a half inches, um, try it out. Yeah. But it's 
it's mostly just my my draw length is shortening because the range of motion is coming down on my shoulder. Interesting. Will you? I'm, I'm old. Man. Will you? Well, will you at some point say your shoulders continue to go bad? Will you go? Uh, will you use a crossbow? That's what I was actually going to ask as well. Is it? Yeah. It's it's not out of the question for me. Um, I mean, if if it ever came down to giving up archery hunting, yeah, um, and switching to crossbow, I would absolutely. I don't think there's an ego driven part of it for me where I would be opposed to because I know some people like I'll never shoot a crossbow for this reason or that reason. Yeah. Uh, Even though I, don't I can't scratch that. my ear anymore. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Yeah. But me being I, I enjoy shooting my compound bow. I truly enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so for that reason, I will hold on to it as long as I can. Like I will literally they've been trying to put a, a replacement shoulder in me quite a while now because my shoulder's so beat up. Um but I'm pushing it off because I'm genuinely concerned about the fact that might limit my ability to shoot a compound bow. Yeah. So I'm trying to hold off as long as possible. And uh, I get what's called a debridement. So they go in and they shave everything down yep. and get rid of all these bone growths that are going on in there. So I can hold on to some of that range of motion. But I mean, eventually I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I'm a stubborn prick. So I'm going to hold off as long as I possibly can. Yeah, no, I can I can definitely understand that. I, I think about that a lot. You know, once I think dipping into my 30s, I became very much more aware of, uh, well, you know, easy. No, easy we're, still, we're, still, we're still climbing the 30s, okay? Yeah, I'm – oh, you're quick – are you 33? We discussed this earlier. You're 33. You actually no, got your – you got your age wrong. You kept trying to tell me I was 33. <laughs> yeah, you, the other day, I'm, you were convincing me. I'm like, I think I'm 32. Anyways – Am I the old dog on here? I'm 33. You are the old dog on here, yeah. But here's by the thing. A, probably, uh, by a year. By a year, but his body has taken a little bit more of a beating than our, ours. So I feel like, <laughs> you know, physically maybe you're more in the 40s at this point. I've Well, certain parts of me, sure. including my shoulder, I've had surgeons tell me my, my shoulder. I think when I was getting close to the end of my professional career, the surgeon told me my shoulder was – in its 80s or 90s. So, <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> uh, if, we, if we average my body out, my knee's probably up there too. I'm probably I'm probably due for a midlife crisis pretty soon here. That sounds fun though. You know, everybody hates on the midlife crisis, but, you know, you get a sports car. It's not bad. You, It's like justifiable mayhem. Yeah. You get to go off the rockers and everybody's like, ah, he's just – doing his thing hey, let him go well right i mean i hope you don't have a midlife crisis i mean that'd, that'd be terrible I, f- I feel like you've had a like a great run going you yeah. know it, it you would probably <laughs> go out on top yeah so to speak i mean you are in the outdoor media that's an awesome job yeah i would love that and the more and more you're in the hunting industry the more you're like man i could really do this for a living yeah you know so i guess as the co-host of the edge like can you Talk about the show a little bit. You mentioned you're on your second season. How'd that first And season? this is traditional hunting media, which right. is, you know, the big trend has been YouTube and things like, you know, podcasts and Instagram. What's that like being in the, the traditional, like, television space? It's, uh, you know what? I have to say it, it's a transition. Like, it's it's different. Um, it, it's I'm trying to think of something that I could liken it to, but, um, like, my, my athletic career, you play your football games and it doesn't matter. You don't really think about the cameras being there. I can say that I kept playing football and it never really impacted the way I played knowing that there was an audience or cameras, but it, it does impact the way you hunt. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, there's, 
I mean, the most obvious things you have a camera guy with you when you're out there hunting, um, different things like that. there's a certain weight that comes with it as well that you realize you are a, uh, I don't want to say spokesperson cause that's such a cheesy word, but you represent an industry that is under such constant attack that you want to make sure you're representing it in an honest and appropriate way. Yeah. So there's quite a bit of weight that comes along with it. And, uh, it's funny when I first got it, got into it, I was having a conversation with Steve and he said, you know, the biggest thing is just be honest, like just be who you are on camera. So when you're, when you're hunting, just be who you are. Um, because if, if you pretend to be someone else, two things can happen. Either people are going to hate you and then you're going to wonder if they would have actually liked you, if you were who you genuinely are, or they're going to love you and you're going to spend the rest of your life pretending to be someone else. So like that hit home really hard. So I'm like, okay, perfect. I just go on camera and act natural. But that's like telling somebody to go stand on a stage in front of, you know, 20,000 people and then stand there in your underwear and act natural. Right. Um, it's, it's difficult to act natural in front of a camera. So it's, it's a bit of a learning curve. I've definitely gotten a lot more comfortable up there and being on camera, but um, I've enjoyed every second of it i'd be lying if i said i didn't mm -hmm. it is uh, it is weird though I, you know every time jared's on camera he makes a face that's like, not true he makes a stupid face like pretending to be serious and that's just my natural face I have the, you have, the, the you have a dumb face man i'm just saying no oh actually that's what he tells me every time a camera comes out like you say that i always make a face you do it's like this serious upside down smile. It's, just like it's a, a sexy face, like you're man. I want people to, to see me. I am. Like I've been told. Your chin up. Like I, I have some. been told. I am the sex symbol of the hunting industry. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> By multiple I people. I saw that in one of the magazines. Actually, the yeah. real songbird of your generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the cover model. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's some people have greatness thrust upon them. Some are born with it. For me, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Unbelievable. This comes so naturally for you guys. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's strange. I will say, like, I'm very critical my whole career playing football. Most, the majority, once you get to the upper level of playing football, the majority of what you do is film study. And you literally watch it play and you're like, man, I should have taken a six-inch step as opposed to a 12-inch step at this angle, whatever, based on what you're seeing. So I study film, and now I still do that in my career. And... I notice myself saying certain words far too often. Yeah. Like I think first season I, I would cut into every clip and I go, well, and then I would lead into what I was saying. Yeah. Or so. And it got to the point where, yeah, exactly. And so I'd start watching these episodes and it was like, you want to hide behind a couch, but like, I can't watch this. Yeah. It's embarrassing to see. And I just get so ticked off because I, I know I can do better but that's still going to air for 52 weeks. <laughs> right. And, and there's a lot of weight as well, because when you're hunting, mistakes happen. Things don't go as well as you'd like them to go. Um, it's a lot easier being that, you know, um, the guy on the couch, you know, yelling at the screen, like, why did the quarterback make that decision? Why did this guy do that? Like, it's so easy to say, if I was in that situation, I would have done it this way and everything would have worked out perfectly. Right. Monday morning quarterback. When you, when you are in that situation, we all make some pretty goofy decisions. Yeah. And now knowing that it's on camera and it's going to be broadcast, it's a, uh, it's a challenge, but um, regardless of all of that, I still feel extremely fortunate to do what I do now. No, but for sure. And, and you mentioned this a lot, Jared. Hold on. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
And maybe you're going to say the same thing, but so you so you will watch the episodes that you make, right? You will almost self will you ever self critique yourself? I am the harshest critique Are of you? myself. Like critic, yeah, I shouldn't say critique. I'm the harshest critic. Like I will yeah, I have people message me. Oh, that episode was great, and I'll be like, I thought that was absolute dog shit. Like, I just, <laughs> I need to be better. I need to be better. But that's just the way I live my life. Um, yeah, when I see it, all I can see is what I need to work on. Um, and and it seems like everybody else that's on camera with me, man, they hit a home run every time. They're like, they look so natural. I need to be more like them because you really have what you thought in your mind, what happened in that moment. And yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, I 100% agree. See, James will never listen to previously recorded episodes that we record. I don't, you always send at first, you'd always send them to me to check out. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I listen would. to it. <laughs> no, I never would. I don't so, want I don't want I don't know. I don't. I, see, I feel like we could always improve on, you know, different maybe key points or how the sh- how the episodes are yeah. you know, kind of part together. But <clears throat> I, I would fine, agree man. with you because we you pointed out I'll end the podcast the same way. Well, looks like we're coming up on time. It was uh, <laughs> one way that I end it or something like that. I think that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Or in, whenever we do any video or anything and, like, we're in the woods, we'll either start with so yeah. or all right. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> and it's like every time I can't believe I keep saying it, but I have no other word. You hear those words, and it's like nails on a chalkboard every time you hear uh-huh. it. But for me, like I, so I played my entire professional career. I've never watched a TV version of a single one of my games. Oh, really? I would I would study film, but we get film at different angles of the game, so I can study and exactly under, understand exactly why did I make that decision based on that defensive front that down and distance, whatever it was, this is what I would do different next time. So when I watch an episode of the hunting show, I'm not watching it as a viewer and sitting there and, you know, cheersing myself and being all excited about it. Yeah. I'm watching it in this extremely critical way where it's frustrating. It's almost draining watching it because I'm so hard on myself. Yeah. Um, but my, my goal and my hope is that ultimately it will make me, better on camera next time right and it's not that i want to fake it's just i know as a viewer if, if i cut into every single scene with the word well or so it's gonna drive me nuts yeah mm-hmm. yeah so you, you just and i just said so um <laughs> but, <laughs> i didn't even notice at that time you, you want to correct it and you want to do better so it's like this constant pull to do better it's just like going in on a hunt and you blow a stock and you just try and replay it mind okay what what would i do differently next time yeah same approach well and it's a lot of pressure i mean there is pressure there there's people watching and like you said you're you're at sometimes you're you're looked at to be a spokesman or you know a mouthpiece for for hunting so and actually speaking of which before this episode i was doing a little uh some would say stalking i would say research uh you know checking on checking you out and I saw you did an interview with with, uh, with a national news source on, you know, speaking of being a spokesman on a mountain lion hunting. Uh, was, is that something that you get asked to do a lot or, you know, what's that like? Uh, well, at the time, um, I was still an act. I think at the time I was still an active athlete. When I was in Toronto, I was very active um, with our community outreach programs involved with a lot of different like charitable organizations, things like that. So through those programs, I was very active with the media. Mm-hmm. 
And I was, I never hid the fact that I love the outdoors, that I hunt, that I fish, that I forage. So some individuals from the network saw this story and that was funny enough. The gentleman I was defending was, is now my co-host Steve Eklund. At the time I didn't know him from, you know, Adam, I, I had no idea who this guy was. I knew of him, but I didn't know him personally. And, um, a friend of mine from the network called me and said, Hey, listen, you know, hunters as a whole are, you know, getting drugged through the coals right now because of what's going on with this recent cougar hunt. Yeah. And they're like, it's the guy went out and, you know, ran with some houndsmen and they killed a cougar, which is, would you like to come on and go? Yeah. And go live on national news and speak your piece about the hunting industry. And I said, absolutely. Um, Like literally, I think I was waking up in bed answering this call and I'm like, absolutely. I'm there. And then all of a sudden, as I hung up, I realized, holy shit, I'm going on national news defending the hunting industry and defending hunters. Like, I really got to step up and show up for this piece. So I started calling around a lot of people. I've never hunted at that point. I had never hunted with hounds. I had never been on a, a cougar hunt. I've been around cougars. I've, I've encountered cougars in the wild, but I've never been on a cougar hunt, never done anything like that. So I start calling individuals trying to get their perspective, get enough information. And then a few hours later, I'm there at the, um, at the network and I jump on and I'm yeah, literally three, two, one thing snaps. You're live on national news. Let's go. So that, that was a wild moment, but, uh, it, it was pretty cool. And something I do again, because I was fortunate that I was in the right position to be able to hopefully shine a more positive light on what we do as hunters. I think nowadays it's so easy to paint individuals as terrible people because we've become so, especially up here in Canada, I don't know if you guys experience it as much down there. We have become so distanced from where our food comes from. So separated that it's easy for somebody to be sitting there hammering back their Big Mac and chicken McNuggets and all of this stuff and talking about how terrible this person is for hunting. Meanwhile, that person eats half their burger and throws half of it in the garbage Yeah, and no appreciation for the source of that food. And most of the time the animal did not have great living conditions that produced the burger no. or the, you know, produced a piece of chicken or whatever you're eating. Yeah. We, t- we have that all the time. It's like the other, for, for opening day, gun season here, we, we just have had a shortage of, for ammunition. I don't exactly know why, um, but I think it might be election related. Anyways, uh, so I'm calling around, and uh, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to be like, hey, do you have 30-30 ammo? And I realized I caught myself. I'm like, why am I – like, why do I feel like I have to whisper this over the phone? And it's because people get so – I don't know. It's just like asking for bullets feels like a taboo now, which it just is crazy to me how fast it happens. Absolutely. I found like for myself, I grew up in a, when I grew up, so Squamish, BC, if you're familiar with the area, it's, it's now become a major destination for a lot of individuals. Um, since Whistler had the Olympics and a bunch of stuff. So a lot of people from all across the world travel here as a destination. When I grew up here, it was a hole in the wall. Like I would have to tell people it's somewhere between Vancouver and Whistler. Nobody had any clue where it was. It was a small mining slash logging town redneck be it what you will like it was we hunted we fished that's what we did and everybody awesome. left this yep now it's become this 
popular cool destination and everybody comes here and they want to save the earth and they think that if nobody hunts everything dies cuddling a hundred puppies surrounded by all their loved ones in the wilderness like they don't understand the reality of what happens in the wild um and it's just yeah i mean it's just a challenge so it's it's one of those things where you just want to make sure you're there and you're giving the right voice to what's actually happening out there you know yeah and that's that's a that's a big that's a big uh, responsibility, but you did it well. You know, we I watched it. it <clears throat> I was convinced that it was, uh, although I'm a bit biased. I had mm-hmm. seen it after I just came back home from a, uh, a hound hunt, and uh, so. How did your hound hunt go? Oh man, that it was, was a blast. Yeah. I had a blast, absolute blast. Those guys are they were awesome. Yep, we we followed them for what th- three or four days, um, and we're after black bear, and like you said, uh, we got two great trip. But I mean. Half the fun was watching the hounds like go to work. Mm-hmm. It's amazing watching them work. So that was that was your recent uh, your bear trip where you had the bear yeah. on top of your yeah. car. Yeah, yeah. So I, I we just had gotten back, which is we were trying to do it last. I think last week we were trying to record with you, and um, yeah, that's what we were we were after uh, the elusive West Virginia black bear, which were pretty elusive for the first couple of days. Mm-hmm. So I forget, man. That picture made me so happy. I know I mentioned <laughs> you guys on the call earlier, but that just made me so happy we need to be we need to be proud of where our food comes from and proud of what we're doing yeah. and i just society nowadays tries to force us into the shadows so much and rather than shining a light on the fact that it's it's really the most sustainable way of getting your food yeah um and and yeah i mean if you do it properly if you go out there with the right intentions and you try and approach it in the most ethical way possible like i honestly feel there is nothing better. There's no better way of getting your food and, and, you know, keeping yourself going. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, yeah, we've already made a bunch of food with it. Like we yeah. already cut it up and we're, we're cooking with it and everything else. So it's, I don't know that, really? that, yeah, that changed my perspective a lot. Um, and was actually, no, you know what? I went in pretty, pretty open to it, but um, I kind of at least reinforced it. I like that because there are so many people like, and I heard it a lot growing up. And I believed it for the longest time that people believe that bear meat is not a tasty meat. Like it's not an edible meat. So I, I, I believed it and I never hunted bear. And then I started hearing some kind of rumors from some friends that bear meat's actually tasty. Yeah. And then I went out and I was like, you know what? Like I've heard from people that say deer meat's terrible and I love deer meat. So I went out and I was like, I'm never going to, I decided I'm not going to judge anything until I tried it. So I went out and started hunting, you know, bear and I got some bear meat and I cooked it and I've cooked it for so many people and everybody has always loved it. Like it's always been a big hit. How have you, how have you prepared it? Oh, um, let's see. I've done roast steaks, burgers, sausage, jerky. Like, I mean, stews. I've done it basically every which way under the sun that I can think of. You just got to make sure you're cooking it in ways that, aren't going to dry it out too much because you, you do have to get that 165. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We like, I actually, the, the way I got introduced to it, I, I don't know if I said this in the podcast or not, but I had a student who found out that I liked hunting and he's like one day, actually I'll give him credit for his, uh, you know, his academic integrity, but he waited till the class was over and grades were submitted and then gave me a bunch of bear meat. Hmm. And, uh, 
it was awesome. Like, I, we ate it. I made meatballs, and I forgot what else I did with it. Are you saying to the students out there listening if you give that me you can me- be bought? Oh, absolutely. If you give me bear meat, or meat? Uh, you, you've tipped me off in a sweet hunting spot, your grade is going to look pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You know, I mean, if we're being honest, this is an honest podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. So, anyways, yeah, that's – uh. It's interesting how you have to feel like you have to be uh, hide the fact that you have this thing that's a passion, and actually, you know, when you think about it, is all good things. I mean, you're using all parts of the animal, you're eating all parts of it, you're part of the process yourself. It's lived a full life in the wild. It's healthy and, and everything else. And let's be honest, you're offering that that animal. If you're a good shot that animal does not have an opportunity to have a better death out there than what you can offer it. Yeah, true. Because if you, it doesn't die by a hunter's hand, it will starve, it will be eaten alive, or it will die a slow death from a disease, or it'll get hit hit by a vehicle. But that's like, those are the deaths that are available, or they'll freeze to death. It's difficult out there. Um, So, and and I, I felt... Like I was saying, I felt for a large part of my life that I had to hide it, especially while I was playing in professional sports, because we were trained by media specialists on how to handle interviews, what what is and isn't appropriate to talk about. Yeah. And and I had these certain goals in my life, and I finally got to a point where I said, "Screw that! Like I'm just going to be me." Yeah. And that's that's kind of when I started like being that much more vocal about the fact I hunt and fish. And you know what? It's just about there's enough people talk about it. You just got to talk about it in the right way. Yeah, exactly. And and if, you know, I, I found most people, when you explain what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, um, like you really, if you do, if you eat meat, it's hard to, to argue with that, you know, um, hardly, hardly a more connected and responsible way, I think, to, to, to get your meat. And if you go about it in the right way, you would be amazed by the individuals that will, that will come to you with questions and be interested in, yeah. in, learning more about it as long as you're being respectful in the way you're presenting yourself. Yep. Yeah. And that's a big, that's a big thing. And you know, you do it well. And so I don't know, we, we, we wanted to have you on just to kind of share your perspective, um, to tell your, you know, your history and, and to kind of explain what it's like to, uh, to be what, it, you know, in the hunting industry and to be somebody that the people look up to. So mm-hmm. like I said, we just, we're, we're thankful that you, you were able to come <laughs> on and, and share all that with us. We, we appreciate it. I, I appreciate that a lot. I don't know that individuals look up to me for any reason other than the fact that I'm so safe. <laughs> right? No, no, it's it's cool. That's just a physical man. <laughs> you can't even help that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, Joe, I mean, for, for people who want to, you know, watch you um, either on social media or, or your television show and or any other way, what, what's the best way they, they can get a hold of you and follow along? Yeah. Um, so the, the best way, if you guys want to watch the actual episodes that we're putting together, yeah. we're on the edge, it's the, the edge TV show. You can find us on, if you're up here in Canada, it's on wild TV. If you're South of the border down in the U S we are on Amazon prime. Sweet. We're on pursuit and we're on cowboy channel. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to log into my parents, uh, Amazon prime and probably watch go. that. It's, I may be 32, but I still mooch off their Amazon prime. <laughs> <laughs> you're an animal. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, if they want to follow along, I still do quite a few hunts that don't actually make it into the season as well, just because you only have room for so many episodes. So if they want to follow along on social media, it's just uh, Joe underscore Appel 
honestly, guys, I really appreciate you having me on here. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy what you're doing, and, and I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to chat. Excellent. Well, thank you, Joe. Thanks for coming on, um, and, and everybody go give him a follow and, and check out the stuff he's doing. It's great stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you guys like what you hear and want to follow along on what we're currently up to, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and follow us on Instagram at Boga Hunting. Join us next week, and we'll see you then.